Welcome to Full Metal RPG. This is Richie Buzzkill. And today we've got some special guests. One you know, one I hope you've read his work. Uh, we'll start with T.R. Knapper, a.k.a. the guy that wrote uh, 36 Streets. Uh, we're going to call him Tim. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hi, Tim. <laughs> G'day. Uh, and, uh, Kayla is, uh, is back. Uh, welcome back, Kayla. Thank you. Glad to be back. Um, and I, speaking of 36 streets, which I really enjoy hard boiled cyber noir, go read it. Anyway, uh, I was reading, I was like, oh, I need to, as I often do when I find a book I really like, I will start digging into the person that wrote it and also the uh the if there there are any other books and i read uh uh tim's biography and it said that you uh do uh dungeon uh, run dungeons dragons for an autistic group of people is that yeah yeah so i've been doing that so uh, i've been doing that for about five years now um i started with one group at a community center um, and it was so all my groups are funded under in Australia we have something called the National Disability Insurance Scheme and it's basically universal health care but it's for people living with a disability uh, and so they get to choose the idea of the scheme is that they get to choose how their money's how they spend their uh, funding and some if they've got a a, a, a a severe disability, it might involve transforming their house and getting 24-hour care, for example. So it might be hundreds of thousands of dollars. But for others, it might be less. And in any case, I started running groups of for autistic people then about five years ago of Dungeons & Dragons because I managed to convince um, the organisation of the benefits of D&D, &D, and I'm sure we'll go into that, the benefits of D&D &D for autistic people. And now I've gone to another organisation, but we have six groups running. I run three of them. Uh, and that's my, along with being a writer, that's my day job. Very cool. Very cool. And and that's what, I, 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 as soon as I, I read that, I was like, and I went to the perhaps soon to be departed Twitter and I, I, I went <laughs> and I messaged you and we, we've been playing uh, cat and mouse with the ever present worst villain of all time of <laughs> every game ever created the dragon called schedule. Uh, since then, so I'm glad. Oh, I thought you. I thought you were leading up to an Elon Musk. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it's well, okay. <laughs> I mean, yes, but no. Uh, also, other dragons with their hordes. Anyways, uh, but I've we finally slayed one of the the important dragons. We'll talk about slaying the other dragon, perhaps on the after action report. <laughs> uh, and uh, so we we've got you on here, which is great. And then, of course, I could not help but think of my good friend Kayla, who is doing a role-playing therapeutics business. Uh, last time we started, last time we talked on the show, I believe you hadn't uh, really gotten very far into that yet. So I think you've done a bunch of. Uh, you're starting to do a regular schedule, right, Kayla? Yeah, um, I think the last time we talked. Uh, was before my fall groups had started. And at this point, my fall groups are one of them is 
one week left and the other three are two weeks left on their sessions before their 12 week sessions stop for the semester. So um, definitely I've ran many, many sessions at this point. (laughs) Well, excellent. And, and uh, so I couldn't think of any person that I would like to accompany me on this conversation because I am just a jerk with a microphone. So like, I exactly, I, I want to just talk about interesting subjects in the role-playing space. And this is a very interesting subject as we've already done role-playing and therapeutics, but I think this is a even tighter subject, but we can go wherever we need to go. Um, but basically I want to just state up front that I am a layman and I am merely uh, interested in the subject. So if I make uh, some silly comment, then I apologize and I will, uh, I would like to learn more. So let me know. Uh, but uh, yeah. And I think uh, as, as you quote in one of your, your excellent blog posts uh, from a couple years ago from uh, David Mitchell, if you've met one person with autism, You've met one person with autism. Not everyone mm. is the same. There's a, a, every individual is an individual. So mm. that's what I'd like to start that with. But uh, so, um, yeah, I I think that uh, we 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 all I think D and D becoming the, the kind of it's the default part of the culture that kind of allows us to have imagination is kind of what has let it to be used in this space, right? That's kind of um, the, the, re, the it's easier to, to sell and use uh, in this kind of uh, therapeutic. Oh, you space. mean, you mean because it's become so popular? Yeah. Because it's become so popular that, that now people know. Yeah. What it is, right. It's made, well, it's mainstream now. Um, when I, uh, when I started playing, uh, well, I started playing in the nineties um, and in the nineties, there was the, um, the uh, the residue of the satanic panic, which was not in Australia, it was in America. But um, the people in Australia, if they'd heard of D and D, they're like, "Is that the devil worshiping thing?" I'm like, no, it's not the devil worshiping thing. <laughs> um, but back then, it was pure geekdom, and geeks weren't mainstream at all, um, and so we never told anyone about it. But these days, it's just huge. It's exploded in popularity, and it gets these. Um, millions of people watching streams and so forth. So, in, and in terms of uh, uh, the disability sector and in terms with autistic people, it's massively popular. And for, for the place I work, I work at a local charity. They've got a waiting list of 100, but they could easily have a waiting list of, of more than that. They don't advertise it anymore. They don't even, but it's got a waiting list of 100. And we've got, we've got six groups, as I said at the beginning. Uh, and I think... The, it's not always young people that are, are coming to play, but it's mainly young people uh, love the game, and I think their parents or carers uh, are desperate for them to to have this social interaction and to and to build friendships and so forth. Um, and so it's become hugely popular here. Uh, it's just fortunate at the moment that it's still classified as something that can be funded under the National Disability Insurance Scheme, the, the, the scheme I mentioned at the start. And while it is, while it continues to be funded, we can continue running these games and expanding the program. Yeah, well, that that's, uh, and, and maybe that's a, a path we can go down, but, you know, there, if you're, 
if someone is interested, say, say I was interested and I'm going to ask my two knowledgeable friends here, if I was interested in starting to maybe volunteer for something like Tim is doing, where would I start? What would I, I mean, other than finding somebody that's running a charity like this, right? But like what, what kind of preparation or what kind of thoughts should I be working on for this kind of, uh, these kind of games? As a DM running for autistic people? Yes. Okay. Maybe start, maybe Kayla, what do you think? Um, well, I, I think that the first thing to consider is like someone with autism, someone with an autism diagnosis is at the core a person. So like you're going to start at GMing for a person um, that because that's what you're doing. Um, as as you stated, like if you've met someone with autism, you've met one person with autism like it's it presents itself very differently depending on the person. It kind of depends from person to person on what they're struggling with or what they're working on. Um, I know from a therapeutic side of things, um, what I am focusing on, um, what I, what we know for neurodivergence is that um, we are looking at the executive functioning skills. And so that's usually where we are seeing the, the push for like, this is what we would like to improve um, from a, from a therapeutic stance that is so like, uh, that is a lot of times the like, communication side of things the self-restraint the working memory emotional control focus like um all of those kind of fall into the executive functioning side of things and so uh those may be where people struggle a little bit but also i would say that it's not uncommon for someone who does not identify as neurodivergent to also sometimes struggle with executive functioning um so it's kind of been my experience that even though like you have an autism diagnosis, like at least for my groups who are going to be on the like lower needs side of things so that they have their, they have verbal communication skills. Um, they're able to like, they're able to participate, um, in full conversations that are verbal, meaning that like they don't rely heavily on, um, the written communication or they don't rely on a different type of communication versus the back and forth of verbal communication. Um, so I, I don't work with like the, the kiddos that have more higher needs autism. Um, so, the, and I don't know, Tim, if that's something that you're, you're running groups for at the moment. Um, but that's kind of like a baseline when I work with kiddos is that they have to have the verbal skills. So then it just turns into like, I'm running a group for like, I'd run any other group. So what you need to do is like, know how to DM. You need mm. to know the rules of the game and you need to be able to like tell a story that your, your players are going to engage with. Um, and so I think that things that you're already doing to like be a good DM or GM, whatever you're calling it, um, that that is where I would kind of start there and not have assumptions that like just because someone is diagnosed with autism means that they're going to like function differently in that realm. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Uh, my, my players are all verbal. Um, so that's kind of the minimum. Uh, but they also it's hard. For, I, I don't do the classification. This is the. This is like a bureaucracy somewhere, but a bureaucracy, a bureaucrat somewhere has classified all my players 
as being eligible for support. So it's a certain level of autism, whatever that means. Um, for me, uh, in terms of what, how would you prepare if you'd never done it before? Like it's so, I would say in general, it's, it's what Kayla said. You're running a D and D session and you, if you got, you need to bring all your skills to that or your storytelling, telling skills and your ability to engage and have fun. I would say that in my experience, you, my, I have to be a lot more hyper-focused on the players um, because they, the way they might uh, um, express uh, or register distress uh, will be different or, or uh, confusion or withdrawal might be not be the same as, say, with a group of friends. So I think for me, I've always had to be a lot more hyper-focused during those sessions um, to make sure that I'm reading the five or six players. In terms of, like, it, it's a fascinating Autism is fascinating because it's I don't even the term spectrum. I don't even know if that's correct. I have some players who who could quote you every single rule of D and D, and I have other players who, after several years, still ask me what dice they roll to hit. You know, um, it's so broad, uh, and so that's part of the thing. Is I think if you were being a, a dungeon master and you were going to it for the first time, is just run the best game you can and prepare as you would for a normal D&D session, but, you know, be hyper-focused and be prepared for a very broad broad range of abilities to engage with what you're doing. I think one of the, one of the things, uh, this is, I mean, there's so many, there's so much to talk about here, but one of the things I do do, which is maybe a little bit unusual, I'm not sure what Kayla thinks, but I don't, I prefer not to run evil groups if we're going to go into the nitty-gritty of D&D. Um, we're publicly funded. I don't want my players going home and their parents or carers saying, what did you do with D&D? And they said, we sacrificed the virgin to the blood <laughs> god. And I'm like, ah! And they're like ringing the... What are you doing down there? So we, I, I, do, I, I do think about that sometimes. I do try to have groups that are not overtly evil. Um, because I'm conscious of, I may be going back to what I said before when D&D had this reputation of the, uh, of being, of a bunch of Satanists playing it or whatever. I, I guess I worry about ensuring that, that public funding and that the, um, the public image of D&D is really good. And so I, 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 if I don't want an overtly evil group, like I said, yeah. Yeah, so um, I agree. Uh, that's actually one of my house rules is that you cannot play an evil character at my table. Um mm. But mine is coming from a the the therapeutic side of things. It's like I want you as a person to have like a positive experience with the group and to like mm. really come together as a team. Mm. And mm. I find it really hard if everyone is these like chaotic evil characters running around mm. just doing like the Satan's work, basically, like running mm. around and, and worshiping Vecna or whatever. Um, yeah. It becomes very challenging to get them to all work together because they've all got their like, if you've got a whole bunch of evil characters, they've all got their evil plans. They don't necessarily feel like they need to care about what um, yeah. other people are doing. And then I don't know 
um, what other people's experience is. But sometimes when I'm working with my autistic kiddos in particular, one of the um, executive functioning skills that we're working on is kind of some like mental flexibility. So being able to see someone else's point of view. So I Mm. want them to be playing a character that's going to actually care about someone else's point of view in Mm. some level. And I feel like when we throw in the evil characters, that kind of goes out the window. Like they're more self-absorbed and they're not necessarily interested in the like teamwork side of things. So I I try to shut that down. (laughs) Yeah. No, and I try and I do try and I very very much encourage them to write their backstories. And then one of the things I do as a DM, which I love is I have an adventure to run, but I always incorporate backstory into the adventure somewhere. Like I write in their subplot. But it's important, I think, to have backstories where sometimes the characters know each other and they have a reason for caring about each other. Um, Not all of them, but there might be a brother and sister there. There might be old friends, whatever it may be. Um, I think that the the division, as Kayla was saying, I think one of the differences I've noticed between the regular groups I'm in and I run because, of course, I have to run my own group as well as doing it for a living. I can't stop it. <laughs> Just three campaigns a week. Um, is um, You've got to be careful about division. Um, in in, uh, in Dungeons & Dragons, for example, you can have cursed items, which and one of the curses is uh, party chaos or something like this, or, someone's, or some entity is trying to turn the party against each other. I think that's one area where I tread very carefully because... Um, in these in autistic groups, it can be it can be easier for people to get extremely upset with each other and to sometimes not split their character from what their character is doing from their own emotions. Although I'm guilty of that as well. I know I've been <laughs> outraged at what friends have done to me in Dungeons and Dragons sessions and carried a grudge about it, but. I'm very careful about disunity in a party, um, uh, about forces that come in to try and um, to split a party or cause chaos or cause ill feeling. Um, that's not to say I hold back as a dungeon master in general, but there's certain things I just tread carefully with. Well, kind of, kind of like um, the mind control powers, right? The charm persons, of the you know the, that sort of like there there is kind of a a newer thought that maybe we shouldn't be emulating this kind of uh mind control and and cursed objects are kind of one of the other ones is it's even in normal group that start that that sort of becomes kind of can become a, a very uh fiery issue uh but i can understand when you know, people are getting to- told, well, this is the way you need to act, right? And that mm. that's very difficult to deal with. With just, or if I if I'm manipulating them, you know, right. uh, and I, I'm, and you got to be careful about that. But like the thing is, but it's a balancing act because this D and D is a safe space for for people for for the players to to have conflict and to explore how they react to it. It's it's a safe space to explore so much, and they can they they you know bad things can happen, and they can learn how to recover from it. And there's kind of a journey there. You're not you're not trying to put wrap them in cotton wool at all. You really want to challenge them. So there's a fine line there, I think. And I think this is one of the things over years and years of doing this is is trying to see where those fine lines are. 
Uh, and it's very group dependent, as I said. You, you, the, the, the range of uh, the, the the autistic spectrum there, but also the range of abilities in the players is is very broad. You have to think. It's also thinking about not just how to engage the group, but how to engage each person individually. Yes, and and I think that, I mean, a lot of this tracks with kind of the the current thought on GMing normal everyday sessions anyways. So, you know, having to focus on making sure that everybody is getting their time in the spotlight or how they want the spotlight to be divided, because there are people that just want to come and drink beer and draw some dice. Right. And that's their fun. Right. Mm. Where I can certainly see where if you have someone that is more in their shell, all they really want to do is sit there and be like, okay, it's my turn. Roll die. I hit. You know, that's mm. that's sort of it, it. Seeing what level of participation a person wants to have in the conversation is a very important skill. I think that every GM needs to develop mm. uh, for every game. But I, it sounds like this is a really important skill in kind of mm. this sort of uh, a work. Yeah, I think that, uh, like, one of the things, of course, one of my bigger goals, especially for my, for everyone that comes to one of my therapy groups, but especially for my neurodivergent kiddos, is going to be, like, working on some of those social skills and working, again, back to those executive functioning skills. So having some, like, mental flexibility because a lot of times like with my initial assessments with with kiddos might be um, one of the common things that comes up is like getting stuck on their own point of view right Mm. so like um, having an idea and getting very frustrated or very emotional around other people not kind of bending to their will or bending to their idea which D&D is a great avenue to work through some of that frustration and to kind of see how you can work together as a team because teamwork is like super important, especially in my groups. But um, in order to kind of like foster that a little bit better, I definitely uh, recommend having like the session zero where you set like not only the like group rules like for the players at the table but also kind of like some basic understanding of what the rules are for the characters in general especially um tim i don't know if you're working with like players that are new to the DD realm but like just so that they have a baseline understanding um of what some of the rules are and where their barriers are and where um like where they can take things so like an example of one of the rules that i always put in place to kind of like limit their play is that I don't allow player versus player combat unless Mm. it is consensual by both parties. So if they can like come to the, the terms of like, okay, yeah, I can see how your character would feel this certain way, like, and want to slap me for that, then yeah, I'll allow you to slap me for doing that because like, that's whatever they can process through that. But if someone says, I'm going to slap you and the other person's like, no, I don't want you to do that. Then we don't have that in our game. That's not something that we allow unless everyone is consenting to it. So that kind of helps me with some of the teamwork aspect of things. And sometimes I do have to refer back to the rules that are written on the board and be like, does this fall as something within our rules that are allowed? Or is this something outside of our rules and um, kind of have them process through and remember what the rules are in general. 
And then for like creating a little bit more cohesion, I've been lately stealing from kids on bikes. Um, They have a lot of like relationship building questions. And so I make the kiddos come up with positive relationship questions. Um, I have them roll a D20 to come up with whatever that question would be. And then I kind of tailor it to the backgrounds that they brought to the table. Um, So they go through and answer these questions after they've shared their backgrounds so that they can kind of tie their different characters together and have more of a history than we just met up at this, this Mm, tavern or whatever. Um, They, they've like had shared experiences between the party members. Yeah, no, I don't uh, play versus player combat, convict, combat, convict, combat. I would never allow. Um, uh, And the, the way the group, but it's a question of, as you say, going back to the very beginning and establishing the personalities and the nature of the group. And it makes that just within itself, within just a story, from a storytelling perspective, very unlikely. Um, uh, I, I Coincidentally, I, there was a player slapped, a character slapped another character a few weeks ago in one of my groups. Um, uh, and it was one, it was at the end of a session and people were a bit tired and, um, uh, it sort of came out of nowhere. And, of course, the person who was slapped, their character, was extremely upset. And the person was extremely upset. Um, and it was, uh, even though it was kind of against the group rules, it was one of those things where you can't stop people talking <laughs> and saying, I do this. Um, and it's something sometimes you have to have a conversation with people. Uh, sometimes you have to have a conversation with players. Um, uh after a session and say, and for example, not the slap example, but recently I had some players where uh, one one player wouldn't give something to another player that she thought was hers and, uh, and got quite upset and then the session ended and I just, I said, look, um, they're not being mean to you. Their character was playing their character and this is what their character would do. And they're not trying to hurt your feelings. And then I had, and I'd be playing with this. Has been one of I've had this player for some years now, and and she's like, "Yep, yep, I know." And we had a really good conversation. I'm just going to separate my feelings um, from my character feelings to my personal feelings, and I can't let it anger me. And so it was a really good conversation. So that's why a little bit of conflict sometimes, or conflict in general, isn't necessarily a bad thing because it's a space where you learn to regulate or can learn to regulate your emotional response to this conflict. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I just want to point out that that sounds like a pretty huge moment for that character. Well, for that person in general too. Like I know I would be mentally cheering <laughs> one of my clients if they, they had that realization out loud of like, I need to separate myself from what my mm. character is. Cause not only are they taking into account someone else's emotions, like it happens to be their character's emotions, but they're differentiating and seeing how like different people have different emotional responses to things and different people have different behavioral responses to things like that mm. is, a huge example of how role playing in general um, can be beneficial to like learning some of the executive functioning skills. Huge learning yeah. moment right there. Yeah, and and and, and it, it's it was pleasing because this I've had this player for a while, and I think this was for, for, for four or five years, and this is another moment where I can see progress. And this is the this is why D and D is not just an awesome geeky experience. 
Um, it's uh, can change lives, uh, and to an extent, I think it can almost save lives. I've had I've had at least two players um, who were shut-ins, who never left their homes. Um, I had I most of my players are, are younger, the teenagers and in the early twenties. But I have one player who is in their um, is in his fifties. And he was a shut-in for 18 years. So he never left his home. Uh, and he had a carer had to come to his place. Uh, and he started, uh, to his credit, he saw that there was, he used to be play Dungeons and Dragons when he was young. And he, he saw my, they were advertising for when I was just beginning, this is five years ago. And he came to the session and um, he was, at the start, he couldn't do a full session. He couldn't do 30 minutes to be around other people. He was having panic attacks and he'd have to leave. But these days, not only does he come to every session, he gets there early and we talk about the rules, we talk about the spells that he can use. And not only that, he goes out into the real world, well, the real world, but he goes out into the world now by himself and he can do things. And that's because of D&D. That's bored. That's giving him the confidence to interact with the world again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I know I had um, a kiddo who like at the very start of sessions was not super thrilled to be at the sessions to begin with. Their parent, of course, had like signed them up. And I feel like it's not uncommon for kiddos, especially um, with le- my neurodiverse kiddos to kind of get voluntold into situations. <laughs> um, but they, so they showed up and they didn't really know what to expect. They'd never played DNT before, um, but they were kind of self-identifying as a lone wolf and happy to be, like on their own and happy to be like with with no friends and that sort of thing and um as the sessions have gone gone on they have more consistently like been sharing information been more engaged and like I had one of those moments where I'm like mentally cheering. I had to take time to email the parents because I'm like, this is so cool. Um, They had a, like one of their, one of the other characters did a dumb and got themselves arrested by the town sheriff. And this um, character happened to have chosen for their background, um, the, the, the the kiddo that I'm referencing, I guess I should specify, had chosen like a folk hero as their background and they were in the town that his uh, background was off of. So he like took it upon himself to go up to the sheriff and vouch for this other kid who had done the dumb things and um, basically say, no, 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 it's cool. I like, I'll make sure that they don't do anything, but we really need their assistance. And like, took that leadership role and and like wanted to make sure that the party was staying together and wanted to make sure that all of the the friend group got to like hang out together and that was a kid that just a couple weeks ago was telling me they were good like they didn't need to have friends and they didn't need to cooperate with other people i mean this is amazing this is this is like the kind of i mean like and i've had you know some experiences like this when i was you know i started playing in the nineties in second edition, shout out second edition. Yes. Thacko. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, you know, it's, it's that trying to work out, you know, those messy things inside of you in a safe space. And I'm, I'm glad that I can have uh, two people providing the safe space on with me today. So 
Well, I was gone temporarily, but I'm back. Oh, okay. Well, welcome back. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I um, so might, uh, have a slight uh, internet issue, but yeah, the uh, I I no, I really think that it's been um, highly and hugely beneficial. Um, it's, and I think that like we had talked about this on the the therapy realm side of things too. Like D and D is something that gets people excited. They get wrapped up into a story. Mm. They, like, like we as humans like to tell stories. It's something that we just kind of do. It's, we know that that's how, like, if you tell a story, you are more likely to remember the story than you are to remember rote fact. So mm. um, I think that D and D really sucks people in because it is in, at the end of the day, collaborative storytelling, everyone gets to sit down and kind of help to craft this interesting story that you're working through. Um, and yes, it does have the rules, but the rules are also helping to um, learn new skills and especially to flex those executive functioning skills so that I keep coming back. Mm. Yeah, I had to, uh, I was at a, um, God, this is so random, but a uh, literary festival of all things read in an interview that I ran Dungeons and Dragons and then approached me to run a live Dungeons and Dragons session for them because um the theme of the festival was playing with story and storytelling. And they're like, can you run an adventure in an hour? I'm like, no, <laughs> my adventures take years to finish. And I had to negotiate. They, they gave me two hours instead of one. But um, I had a... <laughs> it's, a it's an upgrade from the, the get to you one hour and then, oh, it's going to be two hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah so just of uh, 10 years, you know. I get yeah, you. I thought, no, I was, I was, yeah, exactly. I've just finished a, a campaign that took four and a half years. But anyway, the they asked me to, so I had to write an adventure firstly that would fit into two hours and then play test the adventure. And then I was, it's a, it's in a country town. So I had to go to this country town. There were three players I'd never met before, two who'd played D&D before. One was a crime writer and she was like, what, what, what's the dice? I didn't know what was happening. <laughs> And then I asked the audience, and this is a big audience, that I started the session. I'm like, uh, who's do any of you know what Dungeons and Dragons is? So it was a very literary crowd, and there's like 30% of the people did. And so two-thirds of them didn't know anything about the game. And I'm like, oh God, this is gonna be a disaster. But to Kayla's point, I was I talked at the start as an introduction about storytelling. And this is a very radically social form of, sto of 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 activity in an age where so much is mediated by technology but also it's a form of storytelling where a group of three or five or six people get together periodically to tell a story together and it's so it with a, a pencil and eraser and some rule books and in a way it's so archaic um and it's so, but it's still wonderful that we still do it. And it's fascinating that we get the Dungeons and Dragons as a means for us to get together and tell stories, which is this old, old part of ourselves that we that fulfills a need um, within our identities, even to do to tell each other stories. Anyway, I ran this session and I managed to get it into two hours, and they loved it. This bloody literary crowd was cheering and carrying on, and the, this is amazing. So, um. It's interesting that if you expose, you can expose people to this this thing we do, who know nothing about it, and they can have a wild time because at its core, uh, it's about telling a good story. 
and that's uh, that's kind of like you know the heart of every good role playing session right is telling the good story and getting and and this the extreme these extra benefits that we're talking about where we're talking about you know separating our characters feelings from our feelings because we get so wrapped up in that story that it it pulls us in and then we're like oh screw you john who wouldn't let me kill your npc in 1998 <laughs> I'm yes. still mad at you for not letting yes. me kill your NPC, even though I had a th- dagger right to his brain pan, like while he was sleeping. Screw you, John. Uh, oh, I had, I had, it's <laughs> weird. Like we talk about, I talk about how I have to, I have to talk with my players and work with them to separate the character from the, themselves. But I'm guilty of it. I had a, I had a, a friend had my character killed. This is, this is 20 years ago. And I was so angry about it. I held a grudge. And so at his wedding about a decade ago, or more than a decade ago, I was giving the best man speech. And he hadn't told any of his friends he was a Dungeons and Dragons player. And he was deeply ashamed of it. So I outed him as a Dungeons and Dragons player <laughs> and told him afterward. And everyone's laughing. <laughs> because even like 10 or 15 years ago, it was still a bit a bit geeky. So everyone's laughing. And afterwards, I said, that's for killing my character. <laughs> so I held <laughs> Yes, that's perfect. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the the story in the blog, you should I'll link the blog. You should read don't need to tell the story, just they should go read the little tiny vignette that's in there that and he deserved being outed, but also those people should, you know, now are like, "Oh, well, well probably like oh hey he was cool before it was cool like you know well at, even at that session coincidentally after i tell it everyone's laughing ha 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 one of the people one of the people at the wedding came up to me and said oh cool i play as well uh and i run it in uh, i run it in schools and this i got a friend of mine who's a school teacher who's convinced his uh who in the public school system who's convinced his school for part for a component of their english course to run Dungeons and Dragons as storytelling because they write their background. They might do some world building. Uh, they might write a story about what's happened to their character. Um, there's so many, you could do maps. So there's so much you can do in sort of the creative writing English space um, in the, in this case, in the public education system. I mean, and that's yeah. that's fantastic. I hear a lot of uh, teachers do after school, but I that's crazy to do it during school, right? <laughs> yeah, it's cool. It's a great job. Yeah, the um, actually at Gen Con this year, I attended a couple of sessions on like using utilizing D and D or role playing in general um, skills to like teach in different subjects. So I actually went to a one on specifically on teaching math with role playing. So ah. I think it's like definitely infiltrated the education space um, more and more, just more that more so than just having like the after school clubs. Well, it's great because it's it's math, history, literature, <laughs> and science. If you're getting into bit playing a wizard and trying not to blow up the entire dungeon with your fireball, uh, <laughs> if you're playing the old school like. It sucks all the oxygen out of the entire area. Oh shit! God. <laughs> yeah, I always have to Google every session. I have some scientific um, uh, conundrum. I have to Google to, because uh, that's players doing some weird thing, and they're trying to figure out if, if scientifically this will work. 
Yeah, I, I swear I can't count the number of times that Pythagorean theorem comes up in <laughs> D&D sessions because inevitably someone's flying, right? Or like at a yeah. different angle. So it's like, well, am I really in range or are you not in range? And how does this work? Yeah. And that's why we don't do full tactical combat <laughs> if, <laughs> if we can help it, mm. right? I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of doing... F I understand, you know, it's good to have the miniatures out there to get the... But, like, sometimes it's just like, oh, yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> We're just going to... Oh, move. no, yeah. I, I tend to... I tend to... Yeah, I don't do full... I'm generally like, yeah, you're in range, you're not in range. Uh, if it's close, we might do some... We might do some measurements um, if they're like really trying to stretch something, um, stretch the movement and the spell and the bonus action and all that. And they're going to try and st and it looks like they're kind of verging on metagaming a bit. Um, we might do some measurements there to, to see if it all works. But generally, I try to let it just all flow. Yeah. Yeah, that's primarily at our, our home table. We have someone who is very, very much so into the maths of things um at my at my kiddos table we don't get into that too far because um we do use a lot of visual aids though and that may be something to to mm. bring up um because sometimes when you're dealing with like executive functioning skills sometimes trying to visualize from the verbal description of something is very yes. hard so yes. you may, if you are DMing for a group that has neurodivergence in it, you may need to um, try to work in more visual aids and such just so that they can wrap their brains around what exactly they're looking at. Um, because I can say it, but when I describe things, even if I use a very detailed description, that might not translate the same way that like actually seeing it visually laid out translates. Mm. Um, and so that can kind of make it easier for them to like not have a barrier there. So just that is something to be kind of aware of. No, no, I definitely use a lot of visual tools. Absolutely. I do have, uh, I have miniatures, um, but that's for, that's partly, to be honest, that's for me to remind myself if it's a sprawling combat, for example, it has, I have to remind myself where all the different parties are and, and who's in which combat um, as my own visual tool. Uh, but certainly for the players as well, not as a tactical thing, just as a, as you say, just to, to, to keep it all in my imagination. I use a whiteboard um, often for players so they can they can understand um, the sort of overview of where they are. Sometimes I have a screen, um, like I, I might use uh, a screen to maybe get some pictures up of the city that they're in or something like that. I mean, I'll describe it. I mean, I'm a writer, so I can do a, do a decent description, but it's also so they can visualize the things that they're, uh, where they're, the space they're walking through, for example. Yeah, I think that that's, uh, you know, it's a good tip for most anybody. Uh, uh, you know, I, I go back go back to my old White Wolf days where everything was theater of the mind. And there were definitely times when we could have all used a little bit of a reminder where everybody was at, but uh, um, <laughs> mentally and physically, there's anyways. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think what I'm hearing is there's a lot of benefits that we all get, and we get to uh, that we need to. We're trying to. We're looking in these newer spaces, and I think this uh a lot of people 
let's be honest here that a lot of gamers have been very interesting people for a very long time. Mm. And, and this has helped a lot of very interesting gamers become uh, more re- well-rounded because of this game we all like to play. And mm. uh, it's a, a thing where we're, we're now recognizing the benefits through studies and through uh, everybody's good work at the table that, you know, there's most likely a benefit for everyone. We just have to convince them that maybe they should sit down and tell a story with somebody, right? That that's the, Mm. the big, um, the big leap at this point is like, well, yeah, that's cool. Go have fun with your little dice, but it's, it's actually benefiting, right? That there's studies and and whatnot that, that can kind of help convince Mm. groups to let you do this thing we like to do. Yep. And this is where I will chime in and say there are studies. This is still cutting edge research technically. Um, So like when we're looking at when we're wanting to like classify something as evidence based practice, at least from like the scientific side of things, we would not classify this as evidence based practice yet. Um, hopefully someday we will have enough evidence gathered, but like they're, and they're constantly doing studies. There are so many people that are like working on dissertations, um, working on, uh, papers, trying to get more scientific data out there on the benefits so that we have a better understanding. Um, so I think it's important for us to continue to Mm. monitor those things. Um, but I will say like, there are very few things that I can comfortably say fully challenges all of the executive functioning skills that I want to challenge for my players. Um, and D&D is one of those things. So when like the top things that I want my players to focus on or like where I would like to see growth from my players is going to be like on um, self-restraint. So there's a lot of self-restraint that has to come into D&D, um, whether that is like not running your mouth to the wrong person whether that is um, not like stealing things from other players, whether that's not having a like ridiculous response to something. Um, I'm looking for them to work on their working memory. Um, So like, can they retain the information from the sessions? I want them to work on emotional control. Absolutely. And we've definitely kind of like hit that over and over, I think, on this conversation of just like kind of separating themselves from their character and being able to control their own emotions with like recognizing um, their players' emotions and that focus. Um, can they focus on the session and like be involved? Um, task initiation, like, can they start? A task can they plan for a task and um, that goes into like planning and prioritization i know like anyone that's played a, a D session or just a tabletop rpg in general has probably gone through those sessions of like how are we going to handle this like here's the problem how are we going to solve the problem how are we going to like what are our steps what do we need to do what is the most um important thing that we handle right now um we can get into that in battles too time management like how are you going to handle um, rounds in combat. How are you going to handle different situations that come up? Um, the monsters know what they're doing, right? So like the monsters are constantly planning things. Um, if you don't go handle a situation for a week or two, what have the monsters done to kind of like get better or be farther along in their plan? Um, 
defining and achieving goals. I let my players set their goals. Like, what are your goals for the session? What do you want to do? Like, tell me where you're going and I will tell you what happens in response. Mm. Being flexible. Definitely want to see them work on their flexibility. Um, and I feel like D&D is a perfect avenue to work on some mental flexibility. Um, and then stress tolerance. The dice. I don't know how often this comes up at your tables, Tim, but dice rolls. I work so much with my kiddos on just like tolerating the stress that comes up from failing a dice roll. Oh, like yeah. Fighting the urge to want to like change the dice from a fail to can I re-roll it or like, no, 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 it was really a 20. It was fine. It's It was a 20, not a whatever. <laughs> like we, I fight that probably almost every week with at least one of my players who's just really struggling to handle the stress of failing a dice roll. Yeah, no, a dice roll, that's, I, I, I had a player literally bang his head on the table uh, last week because he he kept missing in combat and he was getting so frustrated and he was getting upset uh but again that was like look let's have a we had a quick you know we talked about it this is dungeons and dragons this is the random element um you know this now uh with with the terms of the evidence base there is there's a little bit out there there's a couple of studies that i've managed to find but uh kayla's right it's still very cutting edge um and so one of the things I want to do um, run it, is to build that evidence base. Um, and I've been very strongly um, advocating to my the, the charity that I work for that, look, we, we've got to do more. It can't be just me giving you anecdotal stories, although that helps. I can give you anecdotal stories and I write them all down. But we need to have a baseline and we need to, to talk to the players and we need to see what their goals are outside the game. Is this helping them progress? Um, and so that's something that I've been working on. Uh, and that's something that at the end of this year, I hope to hope to do um, more reporting on because as I said, we get public funding. We've got to provide evidence. And I think it's reasonable for a taxpayer to say, well, why are you doing Dungeons and Dragons in the disability sector or for autism? And you say, well, this is our evidence base. This is why we're doing it. Actually, it's changing people's lives. So I think that's an important element of, 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 of if, you, if anyone is thinking about um, going into this type of work as a dungeon master, it's, it's, yes, you have the stuff you have to do in an individual session, but you have to look at the bigger picture as well. In terms of what you were saying, Richard, before about um, D&D attracting, I guess, neurodiverse types, What's interesting for me is that uh, when I was when I started playing like twenty years ago, we didn't have words for a lot of it then. Yeah, yeah. no, no there was the no word. There was no words for it that we knew. Right, we were yeah. all kids. We had no idea. Right. Yeah, and it was a and it was again it was a way to break social isolation for people who were neurodiverse, and we we were just freaks, geeks, weirdos, whatever it was back when geek wasn't a cool thing. I'm, it's cool to be a geek now, but and you had that place where you could come together, um, and it was a uh, it was a um, a sanctuary in a way um, for us uh, way back then. And I think now we know we have the terms now. Uh, it's still a sanctuary. I know. I absolutely know. Some of my players are like D and D is their highlight of the week. Yeah, and I mean my my own personal experience was I was not, I didn't have many friends. I mean, I had a, a few people I know and I have friends like Paul and that I've known for 30 years, but uh, you know, that 
I was basically kind of just, I would sit there on the bus reading my uh, Star Wars novels. Mm. And then a friend, uh, a soon to be my best friend tapped me on the shoulder and said, Hey, do you want to come to my house and play Star Wars? And I was like, okay, this is the first time anybody's actually reached out to me and asked me to do something like that. But it turned out that played West End Star Wars second edition was my first role-playing game. And that mm. group of friends is still the basis of one of my best group of friends to this day. Mm. And it brought me out of my shell. It allowed me to, because I'm, Hey, I like to dance and sing on the internet. There would have been none of that. Uh, I would yeah. not be on camera <laughs> for any reason whatsoever. Uh, and uh, it was, it was, it was because I was asked to come play this game that I then developed a friendship with this group of people that allowed me to, to gain some more interpersonal skills that then allowed me to go on and like, you know, work in an office and like understand that other people also need things. <laughs> mm. So that's just kind of why I feel like this is, this is part of this is very much like not my real story. Cause this is not, I'm not in that space, but like, I feel, I feel a kinship with that space if you, if mm. you will. So, 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 okay. Well, um, we're just about kind of coming to the end here. Is there anything, uh, either of you, uh, we'll start with, uh, uh, Kayla. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about real quick? Uh, is kind of wrapping up thoughts as it were. Um, I think I just want to circle back to like, um, remind you that like autism, again, can present very differently. Um, the way that autism was kind of like started off or like our, our, our baseline understanding came from a very, like, like most of our psychological research started with like white focused, um, like, so Caucasian based Western culture, um, and a lot of times male. Um, so like if you were having, if you were a disruptive personality, that might be why you would get diagnosed with like autism or with ADHD first. Um, and so I think that we've gone back and tr are trying to rectify some of that, but like there for a while, there was like the discussion of like female autism, basically a different presentation of autism because males were much more likely to get diagnosed with autism. Um, and so like people will talk to me about, well, I didn't think that, like I was autistic because I could make, or, or like my family didn't think I was autistic because I could make eye contact. People with autism can make eye, eye contact and it just depends on the person. So um, some people may struggle with that. Others might not. Uh, autism is very different across the board. And so just like keep that in mind, especially when you're working with the community. Um, like if you're going to volunteer for a place that's working with the autism community, um, don't, I guess my biggest encouragement would be like, think of them as people first. Like don't think of the disorder first, think of them as people first and get to know them as a person and how they function as a person first. Like, and I think that's the most respectful thing that you can do. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, you may be running at a convention, you will have someone come to the table that, I mean, people have all people are people, right? People sit down at your table and you should be able to, if possible help run a story with them so like just know that everybody that comes to your table is a person so 
Tim, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, I mean, not really. I think we've covered a lot. Uh, I, I do. I would just say that uh, the cool thing about D and D is not just being a, an awesome hobby. Is it can be a force for good. So if you if you if you want to support, um, if you you know of groups um, in your area that are focused on this, you know, rec- Oh, oh the, no. I think that Australian internet might have dropped there for a minute. So we're going <laughs> to see if I can, we can get him back uh, or I'm going to cut this out. Yeah. Anyways. To, to finish that thought. Um, yeah, no, I, I think, like I said many times already, like what I adore about this the most is that uh, it is a, a thing that I can get people to practice so many different skills all at once. And it's really because you're like in the story being able to interact as people would in the day-to-day life. Um, And I can't do that with a whole lot of things within my repertoire. And I also can't do that um, in a way that um, makes it that kiddos want to come back to therapy. Cause that's like a big thing um, is being voluntold into a situation, sometimes you don't want to continue to participate in that. And I have never had that reaction to a D&D session. Um, in fact, I've had quite the opposite. Our frustration tolerance talks have sometimes been around, we only got to play for two hours today and we wanted to play for longer. And why can't we have this every day of the week instead of once a week? So um, I I think that that speaks volumes. Yeah, and that's, that's in a... Um definitely a big a big deal wanting people to to do a thing like i'm currently dealing with someone in my family who does not want to do what's best for them and that's uh very frustrating and i can certainly understand how having uh having something somebody wants to do to show up to this uh i mean it's a game right it's a game it's a story and if you can convince somebody that that's the, and then you get the, the it's coating the sh- medicine with some sugar, right? It's the, uh, the old Mary Poppins, <laughs> as it were. Ah, ah he's back. <laughs> so what, when did I cut out? I got a really good thing about the glory of D&D. When did I cut out then? Uh, At the beginning? Yeah, almost? very, it was like, it was like two <laughs> minutes. It was like a right minute in, beginning. so go ahead and. Oh, bugger. <laughs> So I I know I I don't know if I can replicate that. I was going to say, you have to be brilliant twice in a row. Go. (laughs) Um, um, No, I'm just, I was just saying that it's not just, we don't just have this awesome hobby and it is a cool hobby. Uh, It can change people's lives. Um, And it can change it sort of accidentally when like, as uh, uh, when, you know, I was playing when I was young and I think Richard was talking about it because it breaks social isolation Uh, and you can form these fast friendships that's kind of a minimum in a way. So I think up for your audience, I think it's just to just remember that there's, if you, this is something, and I think Richard, I, I just got, came in at the end of you maybe even suggesting this. Um, Dungeons and Dragons, if you've got a, if you've got a, a friend or a, a, a cousin or whoever it is, and their, their kid is maybe isolated, maybe gaming, maybe D and D could be a way out of that for them. Um, and then, and what I was trying to say before I got cut off was, you know, if you can support in one way or another, an organization that is, um, focused on this, do it, you know, 
because the, because great things come of it. It is so new. And I think one of, one of the ways you can support is just get the word out. Just say, look, one of the ways you can you can um, support people, autistic people, is Dungeons and Dragons. It's, it's a new thing. Um, there's some evidence there. There's a growing body of evidence, but we're still really early days. Um, but the, the but anecdotally, not just anecdotally, but in these first few years of it, it feels like it's only really been happening for the last few years. Um, some amazing things have uh, happened. Well, that's that's exactly it, and that's one of the reasons I brought everybody on is I want to get the word out there and see if we can keep this ball rolling downhill and gathering some speed. Um, mm. And speaking of organizations that are doing this work, Kayla, uh, tell, uh, go ahead and promote your uh, <laughs> promote your business, and then we'll get to hey. TR. We're recording on Small Business Saturday, so oh, there we um, go. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I am now operating um, a private practice, Saving Throw Therapeutics, and getting to work with kiddos, um, mostly preteens and teens. Um, a lot of neurodivergence, but also with like social anxiety and anxiety and depression as well. Um, but yeah, like like I've said multiple times, D and D is awesome, and it is an awesome tool for the kiddos. And especially in this post pandemic world, I guess kind of maybe a little bit um, now that hmm. we're all kind of learning to come back together. Uh, I think that it can be a really good tool to kind of teach them how to socially function after being isolated for so long. Yeah, two years of isolation is a long time, and we've all felt that. Mm. So maybe, mm. you know, everybody needs to have a little bit of help, I think. Uh, Tim, uh, thank you so much for being on. I want to, I, I, this is the part where I'm going to say that everyone that's into cyberpunk needs to go read 36 Streets and, and Neon Leviathan. I, just, I agree. I just finished. <laughs> <laughs> I just finished Neon, Neon Leviathan this week. There was, uh, it's these are some. It, it got my old mechanical heart pumping again. It's been a minute since I got anything relatively recently written that has been uh, had that kind of good, good cyberpunk uh, uh, going on that wasn't from the usual directions, as it were. So um, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, is there anything else you would like to uh, to promote? Well, no, you just did a wonderful promotion for my work. So you you did all my work for me. All right. Well, <laughs> and, and thank you for your thank you for your generous comments, though. Uh no, I don't think. Uh, I'm just glad you asked me on. I love talking about this. I reckon we probably could have got another hour. Oh, um, absolutely, easily, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and if you want to, yeah, if you want to come back in the future and talk D and D again or Cyberpunk, I, I, I'm I, happy to return. The ne next time I have you on a show, we're going to talk Cyberpunk because cool. I I was really enjoying one of your other blog posts and I think it was right on. So I, I I'll have to bring on somebody that's a, that's you know a little counterbalance to both of us, but I think we can I think we can have some fun times. No, let's just. <laughs> Let's just agree furiously with each other. Excellent, excellent. And... <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> let's let's just like have a just to take our cyber arms and just like grab the the you know grab our beers and clink them together and like uh, yeah. So uh, I really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you very much for being on. Um, I appreciate the audience. 
please, please, please share this episode. This is, I think, one of the more important episodes we've done in the last six months. Uh, I, I really think share this with people you know that are in the community. And, and not just because that means that we get more numbers, but because this is an important subject. I, I, I think without the patrons of this show, I would not have had the drive. I mean, I would have still read 36 streets. Like that's be, let's be honest, but the drive to try and bring these subjects to you. So without the patrons, you probably would not have gotten this episode. Uh, Th- uh, thank the patrons at least, or become a patron and uh, and and uh, facilitate this sort of uh, good work that I think we were doing here today. Uh, FullMetalRPG.com or links in the sh- in the show notes. I really appreciate all of you for listening to this. Thank you. Have a good night. Ross. <laughs>